Okay, I think we're all meted and greeted, and it's good to be back here again. And Gene just reminded me when uh, I greeted him a moment ago that he remembered the first time he met me that I introduced myself as the rent-a-pastor for the week. And so you're still renting me, and, um, but it's good to be here, and it's always fun to be here. And, and um, uh, good bunch of people here today and a bunch of kids. It's just great to see how well the church is doing. And for those of you that are here for the first time, uh, there was a little fellowship time after the service, and I took a peek in there because when I saw Trina was here, um, I wanted to make sure. But um, even if you're just totally bored with the message, let me tell you, it will be worth the trip uh, to, out here for church day if you try one of those cinnamon rolls or something else that Trina has baked back there. And so uh, don't hurry off after the service this morning. Well, we're starting off with a blue screen this morning because I want to just set the stage for what I want to say. Um, these are kind of heavy times that we're living in right now. Well, we have wars breaking out everywhere. We have uh, chaos in our own streets. Who would have ever thought that we would have anti-Jewish demonstrations in the streets of our own cities and... Um, I just heard today that every day, uh, this morning early, I took a flash at the news that um, five young people every day are dying from drug overdoses, fentanyl, that's coming illegally across our border, just in the state of Virginia alone. And the list could go on. Uh, inflation, it's all kinds of things. Well, I'm not here to bring another prophecy message, but that's all on the tip of our tongues, I know, and in our thoughts, wondering how all of this fits. But as I was, um, and this is going to be um, uh, a three-parter. And what I mean by that is I was, um, uh, I, I keep this digital file of uh, messages that I've preached through the years, and I started that about seven or eight years ago, maybe a little longer than that since I started putting messages on PowerPoint. And um, I don't, I, I, just so you know, I don't just go pull a PowerPoint out and re-preach it, but I've just kind of kept a list on that. And I, I was looking through, uh, eight years ago at this time, I was pastoring in Hermiston, Oregon. Anybody know where Hermiston is? Uh, okay, you do. Best watermelons in the world, aren't they? They're just great. And... Um, uh, but I, I came across the title of a message. I don't even remember preaching it. And I just, because um, I like to think about when Pastor Dave uh, calls and asks if I'll be available to speak and all, and I always look forward to it when he does. Um, there was a message there that was just very upbeat. And so as I thought about it, I um, thought, you know what? It's time to just take a time out from all of the heavy things that are going on in our world. They're still there, believe me. And you can get back to worrying about them tomorrow if you want. But um, there's some wonderful things that are happening, or can potentially happen in the lives of every believer. Uh, no matter what's happening in the world around you or the circumstances that are affecting your own life. Now, I don't know if any of you, I'm going to try to pronounce this word for you here. It's deoxyribonucleic acid, DNA. And that is a DNA strand that's pictured in the background there. And every one of us have that. That is the hardwired genetic code that makes you physically into who you are. And that's going to be the analogy I'm going to use for this morning's message. And it's going to come in three parts because you don't want to sit here and hear me preach all 15 points to this message. It was a, a group of messages, three of them, that I spoke. And so I've just reinvented this thing and tried to update it. And so here we go today. And so the title of the message this morning is Abundant Living, Cracking the Code. Uh, that's what physicians will try to do or 
others that are discovering in, in the behavioral sciences or physical sciences is cracking the code of how we are hardwired to be. Now, we really can't change the wiring of our life, but we can shape it and use it and understand it. And, and the point I'm trying to make this morning is that we're going to see in the text of Scripture, we're going to read in just a moment, what I believe is God's promise. This isn't a pre-medical age when Jesus of Nazareth was walking the shores of Galilee and, and teaching and preaching and all of that sort of thing. But there is a DNA code for how we can live our lives abundantly. And if we will follow that code in our lives, you may not always be able to affect the circumstances around you. In fact, most of the time, you probably can't. But if you follow this code and implement it and awaken it and activate it in your life, you can live an abundant life in spite of what's happening around you. Now, here's the verse of Scripture. John, this is one of those uh, landmark Scriptures in my own life. We all have them. that just always come to mind. Jesus speaking. This is in the, uh, the New King James Version because that's the one that has that last word that I'll get to in just a moment, abundantly translated there. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. That thief can be all of those bad angels, demons on our wrong shoulder or left shoulder that are whispering into our eyes and they will say enticing and tempting and alluring things, but they're just there to ruin your whole day and your whole life. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and they, that they may have it more abundantly. Some other translations will say, life to the full or to the fullest. But I like that word abundantly. And here we find it. It is from the Greek word perison. And it's, it means ex exceedingly extravagant, beyond measure. I can't hardly read my, uh, that up here. Let's see if I can see it here. A, a quantity so bountiful as to be more than what one would expect or anticipate. Worldly abundance versus Christ's abundance. Okay? So here's where I want you to help me a little bit right now. Um, how many of you believe there's a difference between how the sinful world or the natural world around us defines abundant living and how a Christian would define abundant living. So here's where I want you to help. Um, worldly abundance is, uh, we think in terms of immediate gratification. Usually materialism comes into mind. Pleasure. Self-centeredness. The here and now. And so, um, in the world around us, that exceedingly abundant, overwhelming quality of life is measured in those things that really crash and burn and break down and disappoint in our lives. But Christian abundance is defined differently. This is in terms of peace of mind. A sense of wholeness. Values that endure. A sense of purpose. Lots of things like that. Now there are a range of universal hopes and fears. And I've, I've kind of uh, fixed, uh, uh, messed myself up here a little bit because I had this set where the title would come up first and, and then all of these subpoints that are here. Uh, so I'm having to adjust as we go along here, which is fine. Um, in addition to this, Here's where you can still help me. Just look at this. Everybody wants a good life, right? How would you define that? 
family, friends, happiness, health, prosperity, purpose, respect, all of those things. But here's where you can help a little bit. Uh, Did I leave anything off that list that you think would be a universal hope that we might have? Anybody think of anything else? Or does that pretty much fill up the list that comes to mind? Joy. Trust. Peace. Contentment. So lots of things that are there. So... I'm just going to give you five points this morning. Five more next Sunday. Then that following Sunday, I'm not going to be here. But the Sunday after that, I'm coming back. And we're going to look at the last five points on this. These are things that can uh, generate that abundant life within us. They're all pulled right out of Scripture Um, that can create that abundant life that the Lord promises us. And this would be that spiritual DNA. So we'll start here with the first one uh, right now. Right priorities. God's laws and abundant living. And there's a passage of scripture I'll flash up here right now, and you can read it uh, along with me. It comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, These are among uh, the last words that Moses was leaving with the uh, Israelites as they were uh, finishing their 40 years of laps around the wilderness and getting ready to enter into the promised land. And how many of you know that your last things that you say, the things that are of utmost importance, that you want to leave with those that are coming behind? And so just follow along as I read these words out of Deuteronomy 28. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands that I give you today, The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. And all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. More to read here in a second, but I think in many ways this promise to the nation of Israel has been a blessing that we have experienced in our own country. For generations, not everyone has served the Lord or followed the Lord's laws, but that has really been the marker that has set the standard for who we are to be as a people. And who can doubt, but there have been many blessings that have come to us. Why else do you think that there are so many people trying to break into our country? Because they recognize the many blessings that have come in so many ways to us here. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your hand, of your land and the young of your livestock. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. It doesn't get much better than that, does it? But what is the conditioning or contingent factor here that opens the floodgate of these blessings? It's following the laws of the Lord. It's an interesting thing. I was talking to somebody about, that, this, about this just this week. Um, the nation of Israel, and, and, and in many ways. This rivalry goes back to the days of Abraham. It's been the inhabitants of that land, that promised land, between the sons of Ishmael and the sons of Abraham, and they have been going at it all throughout the pages of the Old Testament, and they're still doing it today. But it hasn't just been the Palestinians 
That word Palestinian, by the way, is, really goes back to the Philistines that were uh, among the first that ever inhabited that land. But wherever the Jewish people have gone, they have been resented and persecuted. And why is that? I, I think one of the reasons, as they have been so singularly blessed where they have gone. Now, it's not that God likes Jews better than Gentiles. They are the chosen people, of course. But they were chosen to be the vehicle through which the laws that apply to all of humanity were to be, um, um, they would address them through the law that came through Moses. But when Moses spoke those words, when he came down from Mount Sinai, there's an old Jewish legend that said that when Moses spoke the law of God, it went forth in 70 different languages. 70 being the number symbolic of completion. These were the words of God that were intended for all the people of the world. And they were the voice or the mouthpiece for that. Now, what are some of these things? The Jewish people, and they're not the most righteous people in the world today. If you go to Israel and, and see what their culture's like, uh, it's much like the United States in many ways. But they have always emphasized the laws of God. The emphasis upon a family. They were a people of a book. Knowledge, education, their core life values, their work ethic. All of these things that characterized them as a culture and a society, wherever they went, even when they were dispersed globally, the Jewish people, as a people, would apply those laws in their life. Shazam! It worked. And wherever they were, and in our own country today, this is an example of it, they find a way of bubbling to the top, don't they? In business, in finance, in education, in so many different ways. These are the right priorities. There's one thing that this generation today has dead wrong. And that is that we can invent truth. And if we have the persuasiveness because of our technology and our knowledge, we can invent what gender you want to be. Or anything else that's a part of that list. I'm telling you, those false priorities crash and burn in the end. They don't work. So... I could spend a lot of time here, but this is just number one. If you want to experience abundant life, understand the laws of God, the words of God, the orders of God's creation, that is true north for you. And whether it seems to work or not, or whether it seems to fit for you or not, or whether you are a legend in your own mind and think you have a better idea, I'm just here to tell you, you're not going to experience abundant life if you ignore the words of God, the laws of God. Of course, they have to be reworked and reapplied in the context of the culture of where we are today. But that moral compass that sense of core values, that sense of right and wrong, is one important strand of that spiritual DNA that contributes to an abundant life for you. Contentment. Just being content. Here's the scripture that goes with that. This is the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need 
and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. This isn't something that just happens to you. This is something you learn and you practice. And this becomes a spirit of contentment that can overshadow in your life. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And if you look at um, Paul's own uh, biography, autobiography, boy, he went through a gamut of negative experiences. Beaten, shipwrecked, starving, content in it all. Now that is a true strand of spiritual DNA there when we can learn to master the circumstances, transcend them, and find the peace of God and experience the presence of God in the midst of what's going on. In 1990 was when we first moved to Las Vegas. And then for the next 15 years, I lived in Las Vegas and we pastored Calvary Community Church there. And that was a, just a wonderful experience. But it was a real uh, adventure when we first came. We had five kids and just a little church that was there I don't know if any of you remember where the old zoo was on Rancho. Right behind the old zoo, there was a little building there. It was a converted house. It was, uh, it was, um, uh, it was on Melody Lane, and it was Calvary Community Church. And that's where the Lord sent us. That's another whole story. That's not really where I wanted to be, but that's where the Lord sent us. And it was very clear, and it turned out to be the ministry of a lifetime. The Lord just blessed it in so many ways. But that's another story. When we first went there, this was a step of faith that I took. I'm telling you, if I died and went to heaven, and it was a lot like Santa Cruz, California, I'd be happy, because that's where we were. Okay? And I loved the surf, and I loved the redwoods. I taught in the college that was there, pastoring this idyllic little church. And, and, and the Lord sent us to Las Vegas and to this church there. And uh, again, th this thing ended very well. I mean, it was a wonderful ministry. But I had to take a big step of faith to come. And I remember in those days, a, a family of seven. And... All the church could afford was a salary of 30000 a year. And that went further then than it does now. But it wasn't far enough with all those kids. And I would take my early morning prayer walks with my dog in those days, and before daylight. And I remember one morning I was walking in prayer, and I was just telling the Lord, Lord, I just, I, just, I just really need more than this. What can I do? I was wondering, should I get another job? What, what can I do to supplement the income? And, and, and I, this wasn't a, an audible voice. That, that has never happened to me. But it was a clear word that I could sense and I heard within. How many of you have had that happen to you? You know, where the Lord speaks to you. And, and the Lord said, you have everything you need. Be content. And I just, okay. And, and, and we just adjusted our budget, tightened it. I didn't think it could tighten down any further. But it could. And we were content with that. And over the years, the Lord blessed us, and we had way more than that. But I learned a lesson through that that if the Lord has called, and if this is the situation where you are, and you're in the well of the Lord, God can give a sense of contentment, and He can give you a sense of priorities, and you can live a rich, abundant life content. So, 
this is not something that we just have to trust that the Lord does this for us. My favorite dog of all time. Her name was initials, CB. It was a little Yorkshire Terrier. And the CB stood for crybaby. <laughs> because she would always cry when we left her alone in the, in the room. But that little dog became my sidekick. That was my lap dog when I was driving the car. And uh, I've, we've always had dogs, but mostly they belong outside. But CB had special standing in our family. And I learned something one time thinking about CB. She never worried about one thing. If I said, it's time to go, she would just jump in the car and crawl up on my lap. She just trusted that she was in good hands. And you know, that's how the Lord wants us to be as well. Just trusting, content. Yes, we do our best. Yes, we'd like to get a raise at, the job, at our job. Yes, all of those things are still there. But until the Lord provides that, you're content. And if He doesn't, you'll find contentment there too. Maybe it's a physical illness, but in your illness, God can give you a peace and a perspective and a joy of the Lord and a contentment in spite of those circumstances. So contentment is a second key to experiencing the abundant life that God wants to give us. Here's the third one, and I've invented a word here. Essentialism. It is the disciplined pursuit of less. I was talking to my oldest son. We... Uh, he lives in Vegas. That's one of the reasons why we moved back here to be closer to kids and grandkids and that sort of thing. And we have these two-hour conversations at a Starbucks there on Farm and, and Durango uh, whenever he's available off of his job and all that. And we talk about all kinds of things. And uh, he's a very knowledgeable young man. And um, whatever he says, he's always pretty well-researched. And he informed me, just this last week when we, were, when we had our coffee time, that in the history of the world, of, of, of humanity, let's put it that way, those who are experts in estimating such things, they estimate that there has been approximately 100 billion people that have lived. And, well, okay, maybe so. Maybe a few more, maybe a few less, I don't know. And that in terms of the standard of living that we enjoy as Americans right now, we are in the top one-tenth of one percent of the highest standard of living in the history of humanity. And if you've traveled to other parts of the world, as some of you have, you, you know that's true. And yet, we always want more. We live in a nice neighborhood over uh, gated community and all of that over there, um, not far from Tule Springs Park, uh, if you know that area there. And these are ni not nice homes, but it's, they're, they're nice middle-class homes. But uh, everywhere we... And these are, you know, good... Good jobs, good people, all of that sort of thing. And every one of them, almost everyone, doesn't park their car in their garage. Why? They've got so much junk they can't fit their car in the garage that it was built to hold. And I don't want to go and look at your garages. Because it might be the same thing that's there. And yet we feel that there's so much more that we want and we need. Now, there's just a very brief verse for this. It comes out of the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. God gives us the things we need. And there's nothing wrong with 
And, 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 and I, will, I will tell you, I am a free market capitalist. I think one of the reasons why we have so much in our own economy and that we enjoy is because of, of marketing and competition and all of those things. I think that it works that way. But in all of that, there is something that can be very seductive in our life. The advertising industry is dedicated to making us think we really need something that they have to sell and offer. And we need to get back to essentialism. Our daily bread. And I say that because uh, there are some. I, I watch the business channel a lot. And, um, and what's coming next in our economy? And uh, I've got some money tied up in stocks and that sort of thing there. And, and um, there is, he's not the only one, but one that caught my uh, attention was an economist who said, I believe that we are hitting, heading into the seven lean years that Egypt experienced in the days of Joseph. Well, it might be. It might be. This is not a time to run up debt. This is not a time uh, to uh, spend freely. This is a time for essentialism in our lives. This is liberating in and of itself. If you can manage to live debt-free, if you can manage to not run up the debts on your credit card. Let me give you just an illustration here for just a moment. Nobody here is going to be impressed or envious of the car that I drive. It's a 2006 Honda Accord with 193,000 miles sitting out in front of the church right now. And um, my wife and I, we, are, we would like to get a new car, and we have carefully, we've, we've, we've got the money set aside to save, saved when the time comes. But doggone it, when I bought that thing in the year 2006, I'll never forget what the salesman told me. I bought it new. It was one that had been a demonstration car. It had a few, about five or 6,000 miles on it. I'll never forget this. He said, this will be the class, last car you'll ever need to buy. <laughs> and he said, you'll get 300,000 miles out of this thing if you just keep it maintained. And so I take it in. I've had it regularly serviced. It's maintained. It doesn't look that great. We've got some dings and bangs on it and all of that. Um, but every time I go in and have it serviced, and I've always had it serviced at the Honda dealer because they have a national record wherever you go of what your service records have been. And every time I go, and doggone it, this happened six weeks ago. I said, when I first bought this car, I said, they told me I'd get 300,000 miles out of it, and I've only got 193. He said, I've got one sitting home right now that has 360,000 miles on it. Well, thankfully, I don't, have never felt like I have to, ha I always had a fantasy about having a, um, a BMW convertible. <laughs> but this thing has to wear out first. <laughs> well, but I, I'm, I'm not trying to make any statement about how wonderful I am or that kind of thing. But what I'm trying to say, in your life, the house you live in, the car you drive, the clothes you wear, the things you spend, what's really essential? Okay. And I'm telling you, if you can learn contentment and essentialism, that's a great thing. Give us this day our daily bread and be content for that. It is liberating. We went in. I, I, boy, I found the car I really wanted the other day. I couldn't get him down to the price I wanted. I said, you know what? I've still got over 200,000 miles on the car I have right now. So if you're not going to give it to me for the price I want, 
I'm just going to keep driving mine. It's still out there. <laughs> but I don't feel deprived by that. See? Essentialism. Give us this day our daily bread. Number four is prioritize people. What does it say there? People over things. Okay? Here's the scripture that goes with this. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. If you want to live abundantly, focus on friends and relations and family and people. Not on things. Have you ever been to a funeral yet of someone who has lived well and people think, you know, he had the most beautiful house I ever saw. Or, you should have seen his bank account. No. The things that bring them out is the fact that that person has invested in people. When I was between the years of 6 and 10 years old, I was a missionary's kid in the Philippine Islands. Uh, we were on the island of Panay. We lived in the city of Iloilo. And uh, this was in the year 1956 is when this was. Only about 10 years after the end of World War II. And um, in one of the houses we lived in there, it was a compound that still had bullet holes in the fences and on the outside of our house from when the Japanese had raided that island uh, just a few years before that. And there was in the city of Iloilo a man, I can still see his face, and he drove, drove an old uh, Ford sedan. They all seemed to be black in those days. I think it was a 1949. I used to have every make and model memorized. And his name was Mr. Hodges. And Mr. Hodges had been stationed in the Navy in the harbor there in Iloilo during the World War II. And he had made money, extra money, in shining the shoes of the sailors on the ship that he was. And he was very good at saving money. And he had always wanted to be a millionaire. In those days, a millionaire meant something. Okay? He moved back to the States at the end of the war, but he just couldn't find a pathway to being a millionaire in the American economy. So he newly married packed up his wife, and they sailed back to the Philippines, and he started a business in the city of Iloilo. And by the time we landed there, my parents, in uh, 1956, Mr. Hodges was a wealthy man, but he was still driving this 1949 Chevy, I think it was. That was a Ford. It was a Ford. You don't really care, but anyhow... And he was a widow now. And he lived upstairs. And I can remember we would go to Mr. Hodge's house. And his wife had recently died. And even though she was a relatively young lady, she had heart problems. And he had gone to the doctor and the doctor said, you're going to have to move out of that second story apartment and get a house on the single level or your wife's going to have, she might have a heart attack. He wouldn't do it. And she died. And he was a sad and lonely man. But because he wouldn't put his wife, a person, ahead of that accumulation of a million dollars, he lost who meant most to him. If you want to live abundantly, the people that care about you, that you care about, they don't care whether you're driving a 2006 Honda Accord or not. 
It's who you are. The last thing we'll look at today here is a healthy lifestyle. And here's the verse that goes with it. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor your bodies. Now, there's good news and there's bad news on this. Chances are, you're going to live to be older than your parents or grandparents live. Uh, Even if you don't live much longer, you're active much longer. Some have said that we have about an extra 20 years of active living compared to what those uh, 50, 100 years ago had. That's the good news. The bad news is, is that lifestyles are dropping back a little bit for both men and women in our country today. I just checked it last night. And probably, well, the average life expectancy now for the American male is about 76 years of age. For a woman, I think it's about 79 or 80, but that's, that's down a couple of years from what it was before. Now, there's different ways to gauge that, but that gives you the idea. Um, what are some of the things that we need to tend to to live abundant lives physically? One of the things that's very important is diet. What you eat. Moderation. Do you know, do you know that gluttony is one of the seven mortal sins in the Catholic Church. Well, I shouldn't be saying this because I'm going to have a cinnamon roll too right afterwards here, okay? I mean, I'm just saying this, okay? Um, But in, uh, well, as evangelical Pentecostal Christians, For some of us, we have given new definition to the term a full gospel people. Some of you got it, some of you don't, didn't, okay? But that is an important thing of, of what we eat, fruits and vegetables, and thank God I'm married to a woman that she's trying to break me of my addiction to sugar and... I don't think she's going to succeed, but she's making more progress than, she, than, than uh, I would have ever made without her. So that's an important thing. Exercise. Making sure that you keep yourself as physically fit as possible. That's a component of abundant living. The life of the mind. What you read, and reading to start with, being engaged with new ideas and growing intellectually and learning the the words of God. You know that in itself is a preventative against the onset of dementia in your lives. Socially active and keeping your mind mentally active as well. These are important things that lead to a quality of life or abundant living. And so I'm just going to leave you with those five today. There's five more coming next week and, and, you know, and then five the week after that one, not skipping a week and coming on that. But, But I want us, in the midst of all the heaviness that's around us, and I'm not here to condemn anybody at all, And if this comes across in any way negative, you have misinterpreted what I'm trying to say today. But Jesus has said, I have come that they might have life and that more abundantly. And these are part of uh, these things that I've mentioned, all biblically rooted, that contribute to fullness and abundance and a bountiful life. 
that gives us the quality of life and the fulfillment of life and the joy of life that makes our life worth living. Now this is an interesting thing on this last point. With this I close. Do you know that the Seventh-day Adventist people have lifetimes of about 10 years longer than the rest of us in America? Did you know that? And a part of that is their diet. It is there. And another part of it, and, and, you know, and, and evangelicals live a little longer too than just the population in general. But another part of that is their insistence upon following those priorities in their life. They're not much into uh, same-sex marriages. They're not much into surgically altering you so you no longer experience what you think is your gender dysphoria. But following those old Testament laws of diet. You know, my wife and I don't eat much pork now at all. The reason for this, and this I promise to shut up, I'm one of those preachers that keeps saying he's going to conclude and keeps thinking of something else to say. I'm sorry. When we were in Oregon, we bought a house that an old retired Seventh-day Adventist dentist had lived in for years. And he was um, uh, 98 years old, and he had moved into the rest home in the, not a big town, there in Hermiston. And we went to visit him, invited him over to our house, and we developed kind of a friendship with him. And so we invited him over, and I, he said, uh, uh, we said, is there anything you don't eat? He said, the only thing I won't eat is pork. Do you know what those pigs eat? You know. And you know, I, I thought, you know, he's pretty sharp. And he's 98 years old. So we quit eating pork too. Now I have to admit, I cheat. And you know, sometimes bacon tastes pretty good. And so I'm doing that one in moderation. Okay. But what I'm trying to say is a healthy lifestyle matters. Now here's what I want to leave you with this morning. Serious question. Would you say that you are living life to the full? Would you say that you are experiencing life abundantly? Or maybe one of those things that I've mentioned today is something that you're falling short in that area. Now there's other things besides these. But um, I'd just like to, let's just close our eyes for a moment here. And um, I'm going to assume, but let, let me not assume anything, because there's some here I don't know. You might be here this morning, and you are a person who does not know the Lord as your personal Savior. You've never asked Jesus into your heart. But something has sparked within you. That's not my words. That is the Spirit of God that is speaking into your life. And you would like to experience life more abundantly. Where that starts is acknowledging King Jesus as the Lord of your life. And you would like to take that step of faith this morning and receive Christ into your life. I'm not going to single you out. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. But I would just like to know who you are so I could pray over you before we dismiss this service today. You're ready to accept the Lord as Lord of your life. Is there anybody here at all? Yes, I see a lady that's raised her hand. Yes. After the service is over, ma'am, you can put your hand down again. Um, I'd like to just speak with you for a moment, but I'd like for us all to stand right now. And um, let me ask another question. You're here, and you know the Lord is your Savior, but you're not experienced the abundant life. And the Holy Spirit is just knocking on your heart's door right now and saying, here's an area where you need to recognize the spiritual DNA of how it works. 
I don't need to know what it is. Nobody needs to know what it is. But God's speaking to you about an area where you have fallen short of what you need to do for your part to experience that abundant life. We don't have to have our eyes closed. We're Christians, but you're here, and God is speaking to you about something in your life. Could I see your hand if you're here? Anybody at all? Yes, I see a number of hands. I see several. Yes, many. We're going to pray two prayers. I'd like for us all to repeat the sinner's prayer after me, and especially this lady that raised her hand. And then I'm going to pray another prayer, and we're going to pray for those of you that need a more abundant life. Sinner's prayer first. Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you today. I confess my sin. And I ask for you to come into my heart as Lord and Savior. From this day forward, it is my intention, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to live for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now for the rest of us. Dear Lord Jesus, I come before you now. And I want to experience the abundant life that you have for me. I identify that area where I'm falling short. And I commit it to you now. And I pray that with the help of your Spirit, from this day forward, I would practice that truth in my life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, this can serve as the benediction and the blessing for what comes next. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord grant you his peace. And may you experience abundant life as you live for him in the week ahead. Blessings on you and bless this decadent food we're about to eat. All right. Now the sin has been taken out of it. <laughs>